morning. Welcome to the Lord's house. Go ahead and stand if you will. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. Let's sing that this morning.
Amen. Great job. Wow, what a great song. Good morning. Welcome to Kavanaugh Church. How are we doing today? We are so glad you're here, and seriously we are. It means so much to us that you came today to worship in God's house. But you know who it means even more to uh, than me? To God. It means a lot to God that you're here because, listen, he gave everything for us so that we could know him, so that we could have eternal life. And in turn, guys, we're here to celebrate that today. So we are going to worship him. We're going to celebrate what he has done for us. That's an amazing day. It's an amazing privilege that we have to be here today. So as a body, we are going to gather together. We're going to exalt Jesus today. If you're joining us today as a guest, we are so glad that you came. And truly, we want to meet you after service. So if you could come right outside those doors uh, to my right, uh, as I'm pointing, at the end of service, there's a connect counter there. Stop by. We have a gift for you. And we'd like to answer any questions you might have for Kavanaugh, about Kavanaugh. Does that sound good? All right. Well, let's all stand up right now. I'm going to pray for us, and then I want you guys to greet one another. Okay? Let's pray. God, we love you. It's so good to be in your house. And right now, we want to focus on you. Lord, every need that we have in our life, we can give it to you, and you can take it, and you can handle it. And ultimately, Lord, uh, you bring healing to us spiritually. You bring renewal to us. You offer us the hope of eternal life through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And that is amazing, God. So help us to focus on that great gift today. Help us to celebrate, Lord, and to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Turn around and wave at your neighbor, okay?
Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me in. Oh, his love for me. Oh, his love for me. about God's provision. It's called Honey in the Rock. And, you know, as a believer, as a child of God, we can count on the fact that as our Heavenly Father, He's going to take care of us and He is going to provide for us. We're told that the Israelites, the children of Israel, when they were wandering in the desert, they were thirsty and they were in the desert. And God brought water from a rock and they were hungry and He gave them manna in the morning to feed themselves. And it's the same for us. You know, in, in Matthew's gospel, it tells us to not worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. God is going to take care of us. So no matter what you're going through, you can count on one thing that God will provide. Mm -hmm. 
Let's sing together. There's honey in the rock, water in the stone, man on the ground, no matter where I go. I don't need to worry now that I know. Everything I need you've got, there's honey in the rock.
you are a God of provision. And it is sweet to trust in you and to lean and depend on you, the one who sits on the throne, who is over all. God, you know our needs. And I know that in this very room, you know the exact needs that are represented in each heart. You knew what we all came in here with. And Father, I just pray that you will help us just remove all the walls, everything that binds us. And Father, I just pray that your Holy Spirit will speak life into us and that we could hear you today. We would call on your name, the one who provides the honey and the rock. Lord, we love you. We praise you in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. My new favorite song, Honey in the Rock. Just uh, be singing that this week because there is honey in the rock. All we have to do is get it and need it and God will bless. Amen. Hey, good to see you. Glad you're in the Lord's house today. Welcome. Thanks for being here. We're in our series on core values. If you walk out these doors and look at that far wall in the welcome area, you will see our core values at Kavanaugh Church. We have seven of them, and today we're on number two. It is the core value of seeking. God is seeking the lost. Lost people matter to God. Okay, Let me say that again. Lost people matter to God. Uh, for God so loved the whole world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This very moment, God is seeking to save lost people. If you're here today and you are without faith in Jesus Christ, God is looking for you. He wants to have this divine encounter with your life today, and he wants to save your soul. So today I'm going to preach on being lost and then being found. Our God is a seeking God because God cares about lost people. You would probably think I would preach from that chapter in the New Testament where Jesus talks about lost things and a God who looks for lost things. He uses the story about the, the shepherd who brings all of his sheep in from, from feeding, and there's supposed to be 100 of them, but he only counts 99. And so he leaves the 99 to go out and look for the one lost sheep. Or the very next story is about a woman who lost a coin, which was a marriage endowment, very precious to her. And she literally turns her house upside down looking for that lost coin. And then the third story that Jesus told is about the lost son and a father who's looking for his prodigal son. You would think that I'd preach on that today, wouldn't you? Well, I was going to, but it just didn't work out. So I'm going to preach a different sermon. And you probably figured out what it is. When you sat down, there was a little index card in your chair. And it shares with us the Romans road to salvation. Let me start by asking, how many of you have ever been physically lost? Raise your hand if you, okay. Very few men are raising their hands because we don't like to admit that we're ever lost. But you know what? It's a sickening feeling when you're lost and you come to the realization, I have no idea where I'm at, and I don't know how to get back home. Have you ever felt that way? 
I've shared this story with you a long time ago. Years ago, Angie and I flew out to Fresno, California to the Harmony Free Will Baptist Church. I was going to do a, a marriage retreat at Pismo Beach and get to stay over the weekend and preach at Harmony Church. Everything was going well. We had a great service that Sunday morning at church. Um, a deacon and his wife asked Angie and I over to their house for lunch. We willingly accepted and got in their van and they took off. They lived way outside of Fresno, out in the country. Everybody owned two or three acres of land, and they had this beautiful big house out there. Angie and I were in the back of the van, so I had no idea where we were going. I just remember it took us a long time to get there. When we got out in their driveway, the, the, the lady, the wife, said, I'm going to go in and, and get things prepared. But her son-in-law was standing in the driveway. He had just pulled up on his brand new Kawasaki motorcycle. And they knew that I enjoyed motorcycles, that I had a Harley, and so he looked at me and he said, Preacher, you wanna take my new bike for a ride? And I recognized that motorcycle immediately, Ronnie. It was, it was the fastest production motorcycle Kawasaki had made up to that point. And so I think he saw me salivating a little bit. He handed me his helmet and I strapped it on. I got on top of that motorcycle and took off. When I got out on their road in front of their house, I, I, I gave it just a little bit of gas and that front tire came up off the ground. And I'm thinking, what kind of bob wire have I got myself tangled up in here? I just took off, and, and man, I enjoyed it. For 10 or 15 minutes, I was just tearing it up out there in the country. I was so enthralled with this motorcycle, its speed and its agility, that I hadn't have been paying any attention to where I was. And, and when it dawned on me, they were probably waiting for me at lunch, and I needed to get back to their house. I didn't know how to get back to their house. I didn't know where I was. I was absolutely lost, and I was in desperate need of direction. You know what? We all need spiritual direction in our lives, and that's what the Bible is for. That's what the Bible is all about. You're wondering, did I make it back? Yes, they were all sitting at the dinner table waiting on me, but I did make it back. The Bible gives us direction. However, the Bible is a big book. There are 66 divisions in the Bible, over 31,000 different verses. So God, in his amazing way, placed a summary in Scripture. It's called the Book of Romans. The Book of Romans is really a synopsis of the message of the entire Bible. And within the Book of Romans, there are a series of verses that gives us the outline of God's entire plan of salvation for the human race. We've got a name for these verses in the book of Romans that give us God's plan of salvation. We call them the Romans road to salvation. Have you ever heard that phrase before? Just a series of verses that give us the plan of salvation. I remember hearing this plan of salvation when I was a little kid, six years old, Westside Free Will Baptist Church, Midland, Texas on a Sunday night. I've told you this story before, Brother Zellers preached on hell, and it scared it out of me. And I came to the altar that night, and he said, William, can I pray with you about something? I said, I don't want to go to hell. And he said, you don't have to. And you know what he did? He opened up his Bible to the book of Romans, and he led me, a six-year-old boy, through the Romans road of salvation. A few years later, my CTS teacher, who was my aunt, Aunt Pat Cates, taught all of the kids in her class to memorize the verses in the Romans' Road to Salvation. 
Since then, I have learned many methods of leading somebody to Jesus Christ, but I keep going back to this series of verses because they summarize everything you need to know in order for you to be saved. And they tell us everything that we need to say to someone who needs Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. So in this second sermon on our series of core values, Seeking, Lost people matter to God. We're just going to take a little walk down the Romans road and learn God's plan of salvation. The first stop on the Romans road is Romans 3.23. I want you to read this verse out loud with me. Let's say it together, Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the, the glory of God. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's Glory. The word glory there has to do with the perfection of God. His glorious, perfect purity and holiness. Our God is a holy God. He is a pure God. He is a righteous God. There is no sin nor condemnation found in heaven or in God. And you know what? You can't live up to that. You can't live up to his standard of purity. Why? Because we're all sinners. We've all sinned, and we all fall short of God's standard of purity. If you look at this verse in its context, you will find that Romans 3.23 simply concludes a paragraph in which Paul has repeatedly made that same point by using Old Testament scriptures. The preceding verses in Romans 3 say this, verse 9, what shall we then conclude? Verse 10, there is none righteous, no, not one. Verse 11, there is none who understands, no one who seeks God. Verse 12, they have all turned away, there is none who does good. Verse 20, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by simply observing the law. And then he says in verse 23, for all have sinned. You know, in the history of the human race, there have been only three people who were sinless. And the first two didn't stay that way very long. Adam and Eve. That leaves only Jesus Christ himself. No one else, no one in the history of the world, not even you, can ever gain access into God's presence nor have eternal life in heaven on the basis of our own perfection or our own sinlessness or our own righteous efforts. We have all sinned, every single one of us, and we all fall short of the requirements of God's glory. I hate to give this bad news to you, but you are a sinner. I was going to have you turn to your neighbor and tell them they're a sinner, but I don't want to start any fights in here today. So let me just be the one who tells you, sorry, you're a sinner. You know what? I don't even think I needed to tell you that because you know it. That leads us to the second stop on the Romans road, Romans 6.23. Why don't you read this one aloud with me as well? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Y'all all know John 3.16. In fact, I quoted it at the beginning of the sermon. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son. John 3.16 is often called the gospel or the Bible in a nutshell. Did you know that you can say the same thing about Romans 6.23? In fact, in, in my opinion, if you wanted to find one single verse that summed up all 66 books of the Bible, all 31,000 verses in the Bible, you could probably split the difference between John 3.16 and Romans 6.23. I like the latter because it gives us this critical contrast. Notice the way this verse is so well balanced. It says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Let's talk about those two phrases just for a moment. The wages of sin is death. Y'all know what wages are, don't you? You spend most of your life trying to earn wages. We're always talking about wages, either being underpaid or overpaid. What are wages? Wages are are just simply the the things that you get for, for what you do. The money you make for what you do. The Bible says that we all have an employer. We are all employed, get this, by sin. Sin is our taskmaster. And guess what? Sin pays us our wages. What are the wages of sin? It's death. And here he's talking about physical death. He's talking about spiritual death. He's even talking about eternal death. If you are born and you live your life and you only work for sin, you're going to die and go to hell. You're going to split hell wide open, even if you're a good person. Why? Because you have lived under the taskmaster of sin, and you are being paid your wages, which is death. But, now all that's bad, isn't it? Come on, help me. Bad. Uh, uh, come on. Uh, it's bad. But, God wants to give you a gift. And the gift that God wants to give you is eternal life, everlasting life. He wants to give you a home in heaven. God loves you so much that he doesn't want you to die in your sins and trespasses. God doesn't want you to spend eternity in hell. So God has a gift that he wants to give you. What is his gift? His gift is his son, Jesus who took your sins on his body as he hung on Calvary's cross. His blood was shed, the Bible says, for the remission of your sins, to take your sins away. God wants to give you this gift, Jesus, who provides for you eternal life in heaven. Yes, can we do that? Because that that is a wow factor. Why would God do that? Why would a holy, righteous, just God look at us sinners and have so much love for us that he would give us this gift, which is his son? Well, that brings us to the third stop on the Romans road, Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. Now, this kind of selfless, undeserved love is completely beyond human comprehension. I mean, I can't grasp it. I don't understand it. 
How could a God that is so holy and righteous and just, let me tell you how holy God is. When his son Jesus was dying on the cross and our sins were placed on the body of Jesus, God could not even look at his own son. God, God, God hates sin, but at the same time, the God who hates sin loves the sinner. He doesn't approve of your sinful desires. He doesn't approve of your sinful lifestyle, but he loves you. He cares for you. And the way he demonstrated his love for you is by giving his only begotten son to die for you. I don't know if you've ever read the famous book entitled Night, N-I-G-H-T. It was written by a Holocaust survivor, Elie Wiesel. has an amazing story. He tells about being singled out for punishment one day in a Nazi death camp. He was just a teenager, and he had inadvertently witnessed an officer molesting a prison girl in one of the warehouses. So that officer came into the barracks where all of these prisoners were and assembled them together, and he said there was tension in the room because they all knew somebody was about to get in trouble. And the officer said this, an ordinary inmate does not have the right to mix in other people's affairs. One of you does not seem to have understood this point, so I shall therefore try to make him understand clearly once and for all. And Wiesel, just a young teenage boy, said sweat started running down his neck when his number was called. He was pulled to the center of the room. They put a big box there. They made him lay on the box, and the officer beat him with a rod. He said the, the first strike was the worst one because nothing could have prepared him for the pain and the fire that went down his back and his whole body. He said he just kept beating me and kept beating me and finally when it was over with he told me to stand up but I was so weak he said I couldn't stand up. So two guards grabbed my arms and pulled me up and that officer got down and looked right in my face and whispered into my ear, if you ever tell anybody what you saw, you're dead. But here's the point of the story. Wiesel later said that he was not the person who suffered the most that day. There was another person who suffered far more than he did. He said, it was my dad, standing among the prisoners, helplessly watching, unable to do anything to save or to spare his son. Well, church, we'll never be able to understand the love of God. Somehow during six hours on Friday 2,000 years ago, the father stood aside and watched as his son was beaten and crucified, shedding his blood for the sins of the world. And somehow during that experience, our sins, your sins, were transferred onto the body of Jesus Christ. Literally, that day on Calvary's Hill, Jesus died for you. 
Here's what the Bible says about that in Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6. But he, speaking of Jesus, was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was placed upon him. And by his stripes, we have been healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone into his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. And so here, my friends, is the essence of the Romans' road. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. But praise God, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were still in our sins, Jesus died for us. And that leads us to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Say that phrase with me aloud. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord. And you believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto what? Unto salvation. Verse 13 adds, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I love reading stories and listening to sermons by Hyman Appleman. He was a Jew who was born in Russia in 1902. He was reared in the strict disciplines of the Jewish faith. When he was about 12 years old, his family immigrated to the United States. Here he was, a 12-year-old boy. He could speak five languages fluently, but he could not speak English. And so at 12 years old, 125 pounds, he was put into the first grade. <laughs> Can you imagine that, that kid, big kid, 12-year-old kid in the first grade. But did I tell you he was brilliant? And in two years, he progressed eight grades. He eventually graduated with honors from Northwestern University and then from DePaul University. He became a prominent attorney in Chicago. But he also became a workaholic. And in 1924, he had a physical breakdown. His family encouraged him, you, you need to get away. You need to take a trip a vacation. And so he took one. He went out west. His first destination was Kansas City, Missouri, and he checked into the local YMCA because back in the 20s, if you were traveling, you stayed at the YMCA. And while he was there, he met a newspaper reporter who told him about Jesus Christ. And that night in his room, Appleman found a Gideon Bible and he read the word of God. The next day he went with his new friend to a church. It was the first time he had heard the presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. From there he traveled to Denver, Colorado, where again he met some Christians. One of which was the pastor of the Central Christian Church of Denver who met with him. Their conversation lasted from 3 o'clock in the afternoon until past midnight. You don't need a doctor, my boy, said the pastor. What you need is the Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, the two men turned to this one verse, Romans chapter 10, verse 9. And the pastor, as simply and as plainly as he could, explained it to this Jewish lawyer. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, 
you will be saved. But you know what? That was something nearly impossible for a sick and weakened Jewish lawyer to do. But he did it anyway. He prayed and claimed this verse and asked Jesus into his heart. He was 23 years old, and the next day he was baptized. The following day, he sent a telegram to his family telling them what had happened, and his family was horrified. His fiancée broke their engagement. His dad told him not to come back home. He was an outcast from his friends, but you know what? He was a friend of Jesus. He had been gloriously saved, and in that same church he was baptized, he preached his first message, and some people got saved. And he kept preaching and traveling. He finally ended up in Fort Worth, Texas in the 30s and went to Southwestern Theological Seminary, received his theological training. He was such a great preacher and evangelist that the Texas State Association of Southern Baptists named him as a Texas State Evangelist, which gave him the privilege of going all through the state of Texas and preaching revivals in church after church. He did this for about seven years, and so many people got saved that his ministry went beyond Texas, and he became an international evangelist. He was known as the little Jew with a big Jesus. And in a typical year of ministry, 7,000 people were saved. Thousands upon thousands of people were saved through his preaching. Y'all ever heard of Billy Graham? He's the greatest evangelist that our world has ever known. And there's not been anybody, I believe, who's come close to Billy Graham in this present generation. But Billy Graham said of Hyman Appleman, he was the greatest preacher I ever heard. I learned so much, not only from his sermons, but on how to conduct a crusade. And here's what I want you to know, folks. It all happened because of this one verse. The power of this one verse did all of that. The phrase, Jesus is Lord. He confessed with his mouth, Jesus is Lord. That was a New Testament confession of faith. It is the acknowledgement that Jesus Christ is God himself and that we are making Jesus the Lord of our life. When we say Jesus is Lord, that means Jesus is first place in our heart. We make that statement when we determine to believe the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We believe in our hearts, in our minds, and we confess it with our mouths. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, the verse says, and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart you believe and are justified, and with the mouth you confess and you're saved. And Jesus did that for us. Jesus died on the cross and rose again the third day for you. Jesus did his part. Jesus provided salvation. And there's nothing that you can do that will merit God's favor. Jesus has done it all. The only thing left for us to do is receive the gift. Say yes to the gift. And you do that with your mind 
and with your mouth. We recognize in our minds that Jesus rose again. And we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord. And that is the power of the Romans' road to salvation. That's where the Romans' road can lead you. To a life of peace, a life of purpose. To heaven itself. If the Romans road can take a six-year-old kid and provide salvation for that six-year-old boy, it can do the same thing for you today. You've just got to understand, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You need to comprehend the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You need to understand God demonstrated his own love for you in that while you were still in your sins, Jesus died for you. And you need to understand this morning that all you have to do is confess, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, and you too can be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. For Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And there are two reasons I preach this sermon today. The first is so that you could clearly and plainly understand God's terms of salvation. If you're here this morning and you've never prayed, And ask Jesus into your heart. You need to do that today. There's only one way you can get to heaven. That's through Jesus. Believing in Jesus. Confessing Jesus. If you've never done that. Please do it today. Or if you're here this morning and you've just got doubts. Maybe you question your salvation. Have, have I really done, have I ever really been? Put the doubts behind you, man. Look at me, everybody look at me. You can know that you are saved. There are no if, ands, or buts about it. You're either saved or you're lost. And you can know today that you're saved. How can you know that you're saved? If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. So don't walk out of these doors today uncertain of your salvation. Let's nail it down today. Come today and receive God's gift of salvation. That's the first reason I preach this sermon. Second reason I preach this sermon is because this is our DNA as a church. Lost people matter to God. Therefore, they they need to matter to us. And if you are a believer, if you are saved, have you ever wondered and thought, why, why when I received Jesus, why didn't God just zip me and zap me out of this sinful world and go ahead and just take me to heaven right then and there? Well, he didn't do that because he's got a job for you. You are his hands and feet. You are his mouth. The Bible says you are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. God left you here so that you can tell others his simple plan of salvation. You know what? All of us know lost people, don't we? You've got them in your family. You work with them. You go to school with them. 
It's not difficult to share with them the plan of salvation. First thing you can do is just tell them your story. How God saved you. And then you can take this little handy-dandy card we made you and lead them right through the Romans road to salvation. Don't worry about how you're going to say it or what you're going to say. God's word, we learned this last week, God's word is powerful enough on itself. You just present the word of God to them. Let the Holy Spirit work on them. And so this morning, I'm going to invite the rest of you who are saved to come to the altar and begin this process by praying for your relative, praying for your friend, praying for that co-worker who is lost and ask God to give you the courage and the ability to help them and to speak to them and then just go do it. I told the first service this next week, I'm, I'm going to Oklahoma City towards the end of the week. It's the national championship of cowboy action shooting. I, I get to shoot in that big event. There's going to be uh, 750 different shooters there. I think there's like 38 different posses. And I get to be a posse marshal. That means I've got my own little posse. There are 18 people on my posse and every stage we'll shoot 12 stages. I'll read the scenario and, and I'm kind of in charge of the posse. It's, it's, it's a whole lot like herding cats or pastoring a church. So I got 18 people on my posse, uh, people from Texas, from Missouri, from Arkansas, from Kansas. Some people on my posse, I have no idea who they are or where they're from, but I'm going to find out. And the first couple of days, here's what my plan is. I'm telling you my plan right now. First couple of days, I'm just I'm going to meet them. I'm going to lead them. I'm going to become their friend. I'm going to help them the most I can help them, the best I can help them. I'm just going to be there with them, connect with them. But then on that last day, on Saturday, I'm going to preach to them. I'm going to give them a gift that Saturday morning. One of those old Kavanaugh pins. I've already found them. Pulled them out. They're in my office. Remember those pins? You click it and a little message appears on the screen right there. Remember that? How to go to heaven. A, admit you're a sinner. B, believe Jesus died for you. C, confess him as Lord and Savior of your life. The ABCs of salvation. It's a posse pin. I love it, Jason. That's why we got Jason right here. We get... I want to hand out posse pins on Saturday. Look at me. I've been praying for a month now. I've got a list. I made the list of my posse. I've been praying for them for over a month. I'm going to become their friend, and then I'm going to use that friendship, that connection, to share with them the most important message of all times. I don't know what they're going to do with it. They might throw their pen away. They may keep their pen. That pen may lead them to Jesus. All I can do is my part, and that is open my mouth and share. And that's what God is asking you to do. So two things this morning. If you need to receive God's plan of salvation, receive the gift, come and do that. This, this first service, we had a young girl who received Jesus as her Savior at home this week, and she, she asked her mama, Mama, I don't, I don't know how to tell people I've been saved. You know what? She came this morning, first service invitation, and we got to tell the whole church she got saved. Isn't that great? So if you need the gift, come and receive the gift this morning. 
for the rest of you. You know what? I, I ought to see all the rest of you down here at the altar as well because we've all got lost family members and lost friends who need Jesus. Let's start that process of sharing the Romans road with them as we intercede for them and pray for them at the altars today. Heavenly Father, would you do something amazing in this service? Lord, you remember what I prayed when I got out of the truck this morning and I was walking across the parking lot. I said, Lord, make this a history-changing day at Kavanaugh Church. Make this day a, a day to go down in our church calendar as the Sunday that made the biggest impact and the biggest difference. Lord, do that through saving people today and encouraging the rest of us to be your mouthpiece and to share with others the good news of Jesus. I thank you for the Romans road because it led me to the path of salvation. I pray that somebody else walked down that road today and received Jesus. We ask it in your name. Amen. As we stand with heads bowed and eyes closed, and you need to come and pray. Step out right now. As Jesus speaks to your heart, would you come? If you need to be saved, come now. If you need to pray for lost people, come. Come now. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe, maybe you're standing there at your chair, you're here at the altar, and, and you need to invite Jesus into your heart. You need to nail this down. You need to know today that you're saved. Guys, it's not complicated. God makes it real simple. So if you need to do that, would you just pray with me? Just repeat this prayer that I pray. Say it out loud or silently, but just say these words. Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I confess I have sinned. I believe 
Jesus died for me. Come into my heart, Jesus. Forgive me of my sins. Change my life. I believe and I confess Jesus is Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I promise to live for you, to love you, to serve you. Amen. Now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around, if you just prayed that prayer and believed that Jesus saved you, would you just lift your hand up and leave it up just for a second? If you prayed that prayer, leave your hand up just for a second. Amen and amen. Amen. Dear Lord, I'm, I'm so thankful for those who prayed the prayer and invited Jesus into their heart. I pray, dear Lord, that they would be assured of their salvation. And I pray, dear Lord, that we would be able to come alongside of them and help them grow in their Christian faith. I love you, Lord. Thank you for this great day. Thank you for these wonderful people. Help us to share with others the good news of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You can be seated. Listen, if you prayed that prayer and invited Jesus into your heart, would, would you see either myself or Jason or one of our staff members after church? We want to celebrate with you and help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here today. Uh, make sure you go to your C group uh, either today, tomorrow, Tuesday, or Friday, whenever these C groups are meeting. Uh, you're going to be learning more about our second core value, which is seeking lost people matter to God. And I know it will be a blessing to you. When you walk out of the room, uh, drop your offering in one of those black boxes. Appreciate your faithfulness to give and support the work of God. Uh, make sure you pray for your C group. Go to your C group. Uh, enjoy your C group. I can't wait to hear good things about C. And I've been hearing them for the last two weeks. C groups could be the greatest thing we've ever done. Just get involved in a C group. 7 o'clock Wednesday, come back. we got things for all age groups. Adopt-a-missionary kid is coming up. This year we're going to adopt our home missionary children. We have so many home missionaries who are building churches in various states in the United States, so many of them with children that we've had to divide it up. We're going to do half of them this year and then half of them next year. And I can't wait to tell you more. Brother Johnny is chomping at the bits to tell you more. But start praying about what you can give and what you can do this December as we become a blessing for our home missionaries' children, right? God bless you. I hope you have a great day. Live it for the Lord.